Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Financial Commute. I'm Chris Galeski, your host, joined by Chief Investment Officer Megan Pinchuk. Megan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Started 2023. 2022 was very interesting from an investment standpoint. You had stocks and bonds, a lot of volatility, but there are some bright spots to 2022. You want to share us uh, share with us what some of those things were? Yeah, I think we are really, really pleased with how how resilient a lot of the illiquid assets are that are in the portfolio. So over time, we've been moving more and more away from just having stocks and bonds and trying to build in just different things. So things that will have different risks will react differently when the economy behaves a certain way, when interest rates move. And so we've been building those in over time. It's been kind of a, a real strong focus and mantra of ours. And, and we were really happy with how it uh, how it helped portfolios be more resilient in 2022. Yeah, I think that that was a bright spot, having access to some investments that are not co- as correlated to stocks and bonds, but somewhat illiquid. And so liquidity is often... Um, a topic or a discussion with clients and, you know, very difficult to navigate. What's the right amount of money that you need liquid so you can touch and make decisions with tomorrow versus invest long term? Yeah. And, I, I, and, and no, it's okay. And, and we've also felt like stocks aren't really that liquid. It, it's, yeah. They are liquid in the sense that you can hit a button and sell them. But the second part of liquidity, actually, when you think about, okay, liquid, I can actually get it. That's great. The other piece of it that's important, though, is at what price? So can you get it at the value it is or are you going to have to buy it at, you know, get your liquidity at a big, big discount or haircut? So I think that's the challenge with stocks is that people think of it as, oh, I can sell them. But if the market tanks or it has a really tough period, you wouldn't want to sell them. So clients really should think of stocks almost as an illiquid part of their portfolio, that that's that's not the piece they're going to go to for liquidity. They're not going to touch that for a while. Yeah. But you brought up something interesting related to how much of a portfolio should be liquid and we do a lot not just on the investment side but financial planning that i think you know helps answer that question but the answer for most everyone is not 100 percent illiquid right but also not zero yeah. percent unless you know you need that money in a very short-term period there's usually some level of illiquidity that's that's appropriate and the truth is if you're going to have let's say you're going to have uh you might need all that money yeah. six months a year again maybe you shouldn't be taking any risk like no investments are probably appropriate yeah that's a good point i mean Stocks have always been treated as like, oh, well, I could just sell it and have access to my dollars. And I've always found the concept really interesting of, you know, how do you properly value something like an apple? I mean, it's a very complex business. If they made a toothbrush, I'd probably buy it tomorrow. That's not an endorsement. I just I just like the products. But, you know, if if somebody had to sell something tomorrow or immediately, if it's a piece of real estate, and they really needed the money fast, they're probably not selling it at the best price. Right. And so something that interested that, that happened that was interesting to me at least towards the end of 2022 was Blackstone has a large real estate investment trust. They have some liquidity options for people to get money back, but it owns a lot of very illiquid pieces of real estate. Yes, it does. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on how investors are impacted by that? I, I think that the you know, investors that made a lot of headlines and it, I think, panicked a lot of people because they were probably either not explained well to them up front where they didn't understand. They were told, oh, you can get your money back quarterly. And that was, you know, okay, great. It's quarterly, no problem. But if you read the fine print, you looked at the structure, right? They, they are, you can get money back quarterly, but only so much money can get out. They're keeping a certain amount of liquidity and they can make these payments, you know, at an interval. But to your point, the bulk of their assets are in long-term illiquid, illiquid yeah. things. 
So now people are, you know, oh, what's happening? And is this is this a problem for the industry? That structure worked exactly how it should have. So it it you don't want to be in an investment where you're holding illiquid assets and the manager has to go fire sale a bunch of stuff and you know kind of force you out of it. The real issue there is people who were not prepared, they didn't do the planning or they didn't understand what the level of liquidity was gonna be. So now they're panicked that all of a sudden they thought they could get it and they can't. And I guess Blackstone's real estate investment trust, not to pick on them, but it was a very large investment vehicle, somewhere in the neighborhood of $125 billion. So when you've got that much money to put to work, you're probably owning a lot of things that you like and don't like. What are your thoughts on? I, I don't know. I like it. You're you're definitely owning the market, yeah. right? So it's it's like, is real estate a good price? Is it not? Um, it, you're owning just broad real estate. So versus, I think we tend to favor niche managers yeah. who either have you know definitely have a lot less money to deploy. They can pick and choose. They can kind of be patient if, if they want to and say, is this a good time to buy? Is it not? They can go to different sectors and they can buy deals that are just a lot smaller where oftentimes I think you get good pricing. I think there's, there's a reason why maybe someone has to sell that's not market related or the property related. Yeah. So you get a good deal, you know, you get a good buy price and, and hopefully that really benefits our investors longer term. Yeah, so playing in a <coughs> playing in a space that can be more attractive at times than just the broader market, you can find opportunities. but. When you're investing and making decisions on behalf of our company and our clients, you think structure is extremely important. So where where do people go wrong with structure? Or when you're looking at a real estate type of investment, you know, what type of structures are you looking for? I think that investments are great. Having a good investment and being excited about the manager and what they're doing is obviously very important. It's great. But equally as important is probably the, the wrapper or structure around it, and most importantly, how secure your money is. So if the manager you know, is buying great things theoretically, but they have kind of easy access in and out of the money, um, it's, you know, it's not, not a great thing. So we're really focused on you know, find a great investment, but then make sure that the structure around it not only protects you from you know, just sort of people making bad decisions, but also then protects you from, you know, let's say your other investors in this pool vehicle wanting liquidity. Yeah. So if, if you could have a bunch of people hit the sell button and get out ahead of you and sort of eat up all the liquidity in a vehicle, that's that's not a good thing, you know, yeah. potentially if, if, if the funds or the assets aren't appropriate. So we just we think a lot about how can you protect investors in sort of all situations. Like there's a lot of scenario analysis game theory that goes through my head about what what could go wrong and you know when this happens what's how's the manager going to react what are the controls they have in place but that that control structure it's maybe a little less fun than the investment side but it's it's very important so redemption risk is a is a really big thing the the manager being forced to sell good investments at a lower price to create dollars to send back to investors I don't think we've had a situation in the last 15 years since the financial crisis where that's needed to be a concern for people. And so structure can can help them with that. Yeah, anything anything just that's not liquid, you don't want people to have to go create liquidity too quickly. You want them to have time to sort of systematically you know, think about what's good in the market, sell, or even if it's a bad time to sell in the markets, to be able to wait until potentially it's a little bit better. So you all of these assets, like I love these assets in the portfolios and they're great, but if they don't have the right protections in place, then it's not gonna be as great, right? Like if the pricing falls and you're forced to liquidate at the wrong time. Yeah. As you look out into 2023, what opportunities uh, are you excited about or, or, or potentially looking into? 
Yeah, there's there's some really good stuff out there. So for the first time in a long time, and I think you had uh, my colleague uh, Hunter on recently talking about uh, bond or credit mutual funds. It's it's been a long time since any of that was attractive, and all of a sudden it's like, oh look, like yeah. this is a whole new a whole new space. It's exciting. I think the private credit space though continues to be really attractive. So when you can make private loans, there's a lot more control in place. One of the reasons I like private structures to a large degree more than stock and bond markets is. The underwriting, it, you can just really narrow the range. So it's like there's there's risks, but I can really we can really understand the risks and say, okay, like in this scenario, this is what your upside is, this is your downside. It's just a much tighter range of returns versus, you know, stocks. This year it could be they could be up thirty or down thirty. You could tell me either, and I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's possible. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so a lot of the times, like stocks or bonds, like some of these markets, you are relying on the rest of the world to agree with you, right, or set a price or say this is a good value, and so. I don't really like relying on the rest of the world. I'd rather rely on the fundamentals and say, okay, if if this works how I think it's going to, you know, this is going to be my return. And so continuing to go more in that direction, say, can we find things that are really going to behave differently than stocks and bonds? And again, not saying like we're not taking risk. It's just understand the risks. The risks are different, you know, than you're taking just with general economy, interest rates, stuff like that, and continuing to mix that into portfolios. Yeah, that makes, I I enjoy that space a lot for a number of reasons. The diversification, the stability with the portfolio and consistency of the returns or income that you you can get from that space. Um, Someone once said that, you know, an investment is only as good as the price that you buy it at. You could buy the greatest company in the world, but if you bought it at the wrong price, it's probably not a good investment. Do you feel like structure helps protect that e- even more? Maybe to some degree. I mean, that, that's what people saw last year, right? You had companies, look, and you had a mix of companies, you had a lot of tech companies who were that were not necessarily great companies or not well run or had a lot of issues and their price went crazy, you know, when everyone was excited and then it, it completely tanked last year. But then you had companies like Zoom too that it, Actually, they're a good company. They make money. Like they're, you know, maybe they're not growing as fast as they were during the pandemic, but they're still growing. And their price at one point was down like over eighty percent from its peak. And so, why was it? Was that because you know what? what why does this all of a sudden eighty percent less in value? And it's just because that if you bought at the wrong price, right? When things were too exuberant, yeah. it was not a good investment, even if it's a good company. So, I think alternatives let you control that. A little more again, just in terms of the price you're paying. You're paying the price based on the fundamentals, not based on where kind of everybody else thinks it's it's worth. And so you can say, okay, I know what I'm getting, I know what I'm paying for. And then the question is the exit too, price, right? Is there is there sort of a, a more streamlined market for realizing fundamental value? You know, when you're when you're selling an investment. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting because the last 15 years we've had a lot of liquidity in the system, quick, easy access to cheap money. Mm-hmm. We're sort of heading into a, a shift. We're now. Borrowing money costs a lot more and access to dollars is, is a lot more difficult. So when you look at making this investment decisions on, on, decisions on behalf of our clients and our company and knowing that liquidity is something that we take on from an investment risk, but there are benefits to that. Um, how do you feel like this shift with easy money policy will, will affect your decisions going forward? I, th- I think that look, if public markets, as an example, are more attractive to some degree. You know, we do all this work, and we talked about like the structure and all that goes into it, and the, you know, they're more complex to a large degree. You might have K ones or extra documents to do the reporting. So, for all of that, I think in this current environment, you've been getting a really nice premium. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of if you would have expected, you know, X in, in public markets, you could expect you know X plus something you know pretty meaningful. 
So as public markets, if rates stay high or go higher from here, you know, at a certain point, just regular the traditional market are going to look more attractive and we're going to say, okay, like yeah. we'll, we will happy to buy that. Right. I'm happy not to spend the extra, however many hours, you know, <laughs> structuring and negotiating on the structure and things like that. If it's, if it's easy, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this to be, to be cute in terms of all the, this extra work. It's because I think it's better. So if, if public markets are, are better at a certain point, we're, we're happy to kind of make that, that shift over time. Yeah. Now you make all of our investment decisions based off of three core tenants, risk management, true diversification, and investments that generate cash flow. But you have a different perspective on risk management. It's not just the risk that you're, that you're taking on. I'd love for you to share with us your thoughts around risk management and really getting paid for the risk that you're taking on, how you compare certain, certain things. Well, you just I know, I just answered it, it for you. Uh, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because, again, when we say risk management, it's not it's not don't take risk. Like you're, if you don't take risk, right, you can go make your, your short-term treasury yields and today that's not so bad. But um, it, if you were going to take risk, you know, if you're gonna try to make higher returns, you're gonna be taking risk. So it's not about saying let's avoid risk with risk management. It's about saying, you know, can you actually assess what the risk is that you're taking? And then are you feel like you're getting paid appropriately for that risk? And I think that's easier said than done, you know, in a market where again, stocks are flying, everything's great, or there's really cheap money. There's sort of factors that are, that are impacting that, I think that analysis became much more difficult, especially in public markets. And so now, again, if, if you think of things normalizing a little, I actually think it gets a little easier to assess or say, okay, does this make sense? And, and am I getting paid properly for the risk I'm taking? I don't know if I could quite go with easy yet, but um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe soon. I do look forward to a day where you're excited to to make some investments in in some traditional markets and, and make your lives easier. But in the meantime, you're you're adding a lot of value to our clients and and the company by by finding these really cool niche uh, opportunities. So thank you. My pleasure. And like I said, we'll we'll do whatever. I, mean, I think we're all kind of philosophically aligned. So whatever's whatever's in the best interest, you know, of, of clients, we're 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 going to do it. We're happy to do it. And I think it's so far again. We I was really happy with last year, the resilience of some of this stuff. But if, if there are opportunities, if markets go down to a certain level or um, there's, there's opportunities in the public markets, I think we're, we're going to be looking really closely at that too. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Megan, for joining us. You heard it directly from her. Structure is extremely important and making sure that you're paying attention to how much you need liquid uh, versus finding opportunities that maybe have a longer time period to invest in. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Rick.